Let's open our Bibles tonight to Ephesians chapter number 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Well, I'll tell you this. I'm not innocent, but I'm pardoned. Amen? And uh, I thought about that when them fellas was talking about that over the offering. You innocent? You innocent? I'm not innocent. Thank God that I've been pardoned by the grace of God. Amen. He was put on the cross. He was took captive so that I could go free. Amen. It was my place on the cross. I deserved to be there. And he did not deserve to be there. There had never been a person ever live up to that day or until now that did not deserve to be on that cross except him. He didn't deserve to be there. But he took my place. Amen. Took your place. Thank God I'm not innocent, but I am pardoned. And I'm a child of the King as well. Ephesians chapter number 3. I'd like to begin reading at verse number 14. We'll read down to the end of the chapter. And there's really, really just a couple verses. And even within those, a phrase that I want us to notice tonight. But Paul, he's been dealing with uh, these believers and, and his heart for them. Desiring to see them really live the life of Christ in this world. And uh, he begins to talk about his prayer for them. And he says in verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Isn't that precious, the whole family? Isn't it good to be in the family, part of the family of God? Amen. The whole family. Uh, You say, but preacher, there's some that's gone on home. Well, they're still part of the family. They're the family in heaven. We're the family on earth. Amen. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And this is what Paul was praying for, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Boy, that's a big prayer, isn't it? He says, that's what I'm praying for for you. He says, I'm praying that you'd be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. And I'm praying that Christ would dwell in your hearts by faith. I'm praying that you'd be rooted and grounded in love and you'd be able to comprehend the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ. And then he says, which passeth knowledge, how they're going to be, how are they going to do that? How are they going to understand and know that love and that they might be filled with the fullness of God? How are they ever going to be able to do that. Well, they're not. But in verse 20, he says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Paul says, that's how. You're not able, but thank God that he's able. Amen. And he says, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Lord, what a blessing to get to be here in the house of God. Lord, I've already enjoyed myself just being around your people and singing these songs, hearing the good special and the way it stirred my heart. Lord, I'm I'm just so thankful to be in the house of God tonight. And I pray that you'd take this word and I pray that you'd use it in our hearts and minds. Lord, I, I can speak some truths about this passage that you've showed me, but it's going to take the Spirit of God applying these truths to make them live and breathe in our in our daily lives. And I pray that you would accomplish that and do it in such a way that you and you 
alone would get glory. For Lord, it's unto you that glory belongs. And we certainly uh, deliver it up unto you. Lord, we love you and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we've said, Paul is speaking about their spiritual growth. That'd be a simple way to describe what he's praying for. And he prays for these three specific things. And if I'm to be frank with you, and I've already sort of mentioned this, man, these are things that are intimidating. I mean, in verse 16, that they'd be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man to be spiritually strong on the inside. Man, sometimes that's tough to be and sometimes that's tough to do. He talks about Christ dwelling in their hearts by faith. Man, sometimes it's hard to keep your faith and perspective on the Lord. And then he talks about them knowing the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge and being filled with all the fullness of God. These are grand requests that Paul is asking for. But then he frames that request with this statement about the Lord. No doubt this little group of humble believers was reading what Paul was saying here. And, you know, you're blessed by it, but he ain't talking about you. Amen. Right? You're blessed by it, but he ain't talking about you. You know, I mean, what if I said, hey, I'm going to pray that Brother Ken never does anything wrong ever again. He'd get a little nervous. Amen. He'd say, well, I appreciate that, brother, but you can dial it back a little bit, you know. If I was pray that Brother Charlie would never miss a day of prayer and communion with God, ever, any day, the rest of his life, he'd say, preacher, I appreciate that, but man, I mean, you know, occasionally I have days, I, if I said, man, I'm praying for Brother Jordan, every day, the rest of his life, he'd dive into the Word of God and just mine up the glorious truths of Scripture. He'd say, man, I appreciate that, but... I'm going to need the Lord's help. And no doubt these believers, when they're reading this, it probably touched their heart. It probably encouraged their heart. But it probably intimidated their heart a little bit as well. And Paul, sensing this, he writes, Now, this is why I'm praying this. And this is why I have the boldness and faith to ask this for you. Is in verse 20, he says, Now, unto him, and he's talking about the Lord, Unto him that is Able. I want to preach to you on this thought tonight. Him that is able. I'm glad that he's able tonight, aren't you? I love the old song. He's able. He's able. I know that he's able. I'll tell you, were it not for the ableness of God, I could not face each day as it passes by me. And sometimes, man, we just need to be reminded just how capable of a God that we truly have. Sometimes we walk in fear and anxiety in intimidation. Sometimes we look at the things that we're facing. And I understand, man, I've faced problems in life that I thought to myself, there is no way that this is going to be dealt with. There is no way that there is a solution. There is no way that this ends except in the worst possible way. Only to see God time and time and time and time again come in and do what I was not able to do. Because he is able. He is able. And so Paul here, he is charging and challenging the faith of God's people to trust in the capability of God. And in doing so, he makes some interesting statements about how God works. When we talk about his ability, that he is able, we're talking about his working in our life. And he makes four statements about God's working. And I want you to notice them with me tonight, and then we'll be done. Look with me at verse number 20. He says, now unto him that is able to do. When you read that, it almost seems 
so transparently simple that you'll just step over it without recognizing the powerful truth that Paul is communicating. I would say this tonight. The very first phrase, now unto him that is able to do, tells me this, that God, when he works, he works actively in the life of the believer. Now, I trust and hope and believe that I've not just said anything groundbreaking to you tonight. But I would say that there are vast swaths of theological thought that believe that God does not work actively in this world. That in fact, he is, as the deists used to call him, the great clock winder, that he merely sits back in the uh, uh, stratosphere of glory and has no interest and has no interaction in the affairs of mankind. And before you say, well, preacher, uh, why are you dusting off that thought to give to us? I'd remind you of this tonight. Though there might not be very many that would adhere to that perspective of God in their dogma, there are plenty of folks that adhere to and endorse that perspective of thought in their everyday doings. They treat it as though God ain't present in their life. I'm talking about people saved by the grace of God that know God and live life as though He has no interaction with or interest in how you live life. I would say this, were you to go a week without consulting God, how different would your life look? Would it change anything about how you're living or what you're doing? You know, the sad reality is for a great many of us it wouldn't because we go far more than a week without ever consulting Him in the first place. Paul wants him to understand that God has no desire to dwell at arm's length from His people. He is not merely a theoretical or academic deity that sits back and that we pontificate on and, and philosophize on and, and speculate on, but He is a God that reaches His everlasting arms and hands into the lives of His people and works in a meaningful and mighty way. He's an actively working God. Notice two thoughts that he communicates about this. The first thing he says, him that is able. I would say this, he is competent in his working. There's times in life when it comes to me that you're better off with me not being involved. Thank you. I appreciate that. There's times in life, I remember first time we started doing the men's breakfasts. And, uh, you know, I always try as a pastor, I never want to be one of those guys that's just kind of sitting back for something needs to be done. I want to come and I want to help. I want to try to do something. Um, and so I, I told him we decided we was going to have pork tenderloin that we'd fry up. I love pork tenderloin. It, if we can't even agree on pork tenderloin tonight, this is going to be a hard message. <laughs> we ought to be able to find a little common ground on pork tenderloin. And, and we decided we was going to have pork tenderloin. And I said, well, I'll cook the pork tenderloin. And I went in there and I had it in the pan and I was cooking at it. And uh, I, I I don't know, I fixed six, seven pieces. And, and I looked down and it looked this sickly color of gray, like a person that maybe hadn't felt, felt well in about six months. And eventually somebody came up and spatula in their hand, or actually they took the one out of my hand and they said, preacher, won't you go visit with people? We'll take care of this. And they wasn't doing that out of courtesy to me. They was doing that because they could not bear to see any more good pork tenderloin be abused in that fashion. And sometimes, man, when it comes to stuff like cooking, domestic things, I mean, you're better off me not being involved. I will make a bigger mess for you to have to straighten out. The best thing I can do is sit on the side and pray for you and try to not mess it up. 
But you know, God's not that way. There's never been anything you ever have or there never will be anything you ever could invite God into that he will ever make worse. He will always forever and only singularly make it better by his presence and providence. He's competent, man. He is able. You can trust him. He knows what he is doing. There are times that you and I do not know what to do But God has never been lost about a matter. He's never been without the right decision. He has always and ever known exactly what needs to transpire in a situation. And so in those moments when you and I feel lost, feel disoriented, don't know, feel disillusioned by the problems we're facing, we can always go to God and ask God to work. And we know that what God does, He will do right because He doeth all things well. He's competent in his working. But notice not only is he able, it says him that is able. And then it says this to do. You say, preacher, of course he's able to do. But I wonder how many times we refuse to let him do it. I would say this. He's not only competent in his working, he's complete in his work. Now, God does not call us to idleness. But I would say this, that within the spectrum of duty and responsibility that you and I have upon us, There is likewise a responsibility to trust God for the fullness of the matter. And that doesn't mean idleness in disobedience, but it does mean recognizing that if God doesn't do it, it's not going to be done. I would say this, if you'll trust Him, He'll do it. Now, in the passage at hand, what we're examining is the growth and development of the believer. But anything in your life that needs to be done, considering that you've already in obedience done what God has asked you to do. The only thing left beyond that, if it needs to be done, is for God to do it. God doesn't need our assistance. He does need our obedience. But He doesn't need our assistance. And our obedience, even when it assists Him, is more about our obedience than it is about our assistance. He's never needed a hand. He's God. He can do all things that he desires to do. And he is able to work in whatever matter that we are facing. Now, lest you accuse me of being part of the name it and claim it crowd, I'll tell you that there's going to be lots of times that what you want done is simply not what God wants done. But I am telling you that if something in your life needs to be done, be it a problem that needs to be resolved, be it a path that needs to be revealed, be it a peace uh, that needs to uh, be uh, administered in our heart and a comfort to our soul, but whatever it is that we're facing, if we'll step back and trust God in obedience, meaning doing what God's asked of us, but committing the matter fully to His care, we'll find that He will work completely in that situation. You know why? Because he's able to do. To do what, preacher? To do it all. He will do what needs to be done if we will simply trust him in the matter. So we see that he works actively. But then notice this next phrase. I love this. Now, unto him that is able to do, and what does he do and how does he do it? Well, he does exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. I'd say this tonight, he works actively, but number two, he works abundantly. We live in a day where very often, if anything gets done, it barely does. Amen? I go through a drive-thru. I ain't going to get into a big thing, I promise. 
I just for once in my life, once in my life, would like what comes out of the bag to look like what I saw on the TV screen. One time in my life. And I'm aware that what's on TV is made out of plastic and is polyurethaned into perfection. And I get that. Give me the polyurethane. I don't care. I just for once want it to look like it did when I decided to buy it. You know? Imagine if we did that with a car. Imagine if you went to a car lot and you went and drove a car and looked at it and got checked out, looked under the hood, liked it and thought, now this is a nice car. I guess I'll... I guess I'll probably buy it. And you went back into the office and they put you on that rack where they torture all of the, you know, interest percentage points out of you. And, and, and you sign the papers and walk out and a mechanic comes up to you and hands you the keys and said, well, hey, listen, before you get in it, we went and took it back, smashed it with a sledgehammer a little bit, crumpled it up, spray painted the sides of it. We figured that's what you was interested in. Here you go. Here's your new ride. That's what they do to the hamburger down at the Wendy's. What am I preaching on? <laughs> he doeth all things well. Whenever in society today, man, it seems like things, they're just barely done. And you'll go through a drive-thru and you'll order something and they'll, I mean, it'll sort of technically sometimes be what you ordered, but just barely. They'll say, well, it's got tomato on it. And you'll open it up and it's really got like a third of a tomato because it was a half a tomato and then someone took a bite out of it. I mean, it's just barely. I'm talking about just barely done. Things in, just barely done. And oftentimes when you go and, and get service, you, you know, you go to restaurants, you go to places and, and get stuff done. And, and I mean, they just, you know, forget service with a smile. You're lucky, lucky to get service at all. Amen. And things are just barely done anymore. We, we've become a society that functions barely, that gives you barely. I'm glad we don't have a barely God. We have an abundant God. And he doesn't just barely do what he said he'd do. In fact, I found this to be a consistent truth in my life that God has always and forever done exceeding abundantly above not only all that I've ever asked or thought, but even very often above what he has promised he would do. God's been better to me than I ever thought he would be. God's been better to me than he said he would be. And as such, I I believe I can trust him to work. In my life, notice two things about him working abundantly. I like this phrase, exceeding abundantly. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a grammar doer. <laughs> People ask me sometimes, you know, preacher, do you know any Hebrew and any Greek? I, I struggle with English, all right? But I, 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 my hillbilly mind can process a little bit enough to understand that there is a redundancy in what's being stated here. You see, grammatically, you would say something like this. He's able to do exceeding above all that we ask or think. Or maybe you would simply say he's able to do above all that we ask or think. Really, in some ways, both exceeding and abundantly are redundant. You might say he's able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. But God goes out of the way and gives us the hat trick of redundancy here. It's not only above, it's abundantly above. And it's not only abundantly above, it's exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. What's God trying to communicate here? Well, that He does more than is required when He works in our life. I like the little things, you know. I, I like, I, I don't, I'm not hungry, I don't think, but I keep talking about food. So, 
I like going to a restaurant. I like not having to ask for my sweet tea to be filled back up. I like it when a waitress at a restaurant knows and understands that that first cup of sweet tea is going to be gone in 27 seconds. That everyone thereafter might be spaced out. I, I, I like when they, I, I like in, in the Mexican restaurants where you go and they come, they bring you your own little salsa bowl so you don't have to share with nastiness. I like that. I like little things. I like little things. I like it when people go above and beyond just doing. It don't even have to be much. It's just little things that it tells me they've been considerate, that they are sensitive to what my needs might be. And man, that just, I, I mean, that, that, that just, I love that. And I, you know, one of the things I love about God, He don't do just barely anything. He always does more than even is required. God told His people, uh, through the person of David, David said, I've been young and now I'm old, yet have I never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. But can I say this? I've been able to be picky about bread. I don't eat that wheat garbage. It tastes like dirt. <laughs> I mean, listen, I, the, the Bible says that uh, we ought to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And Christ is talking about the essentials of life. He's talking about food and shelter and and to be honest, I live in a prettier house than I really need. I could live in, in a lot worse of a house. And I, as you can see, eat more food than is necessary to keep a pulse. And I have better clothes than really I even deserve to have. I mean, I, if anything, I ain't doing the clothes no favor. I'm saying this, man, God's done far above what was required to keep the promises present in my life. I mean, God's not just been barely a promise keeper. He's gone exceeding abundantly above. When you trust a matter to God, you're trusting it to a God that does not barely accomplish what He has stated He'll do, but that does all that is possible for His glory and honor and for your good to go above and beyond what He has even stated He would do in the first place. I'd say He does more than is required, but then notice this last phrase, exceeding abundantly Above all that we ask, look at this, or think, tells me this, not only does he do more than is required, he does more than is requested. I say this to my eternal shame, but what a paltry life I'd live if all I ever had is the things I ask God for. Think about if everything was stripped from your life except what you've prayed for. What would you be left with? Some of us, man, we'd have no spouse, we'd have no kids, we'd have no car, we'd have no home. Because these are just things that God did for us that sadly we didn't even have enough sense to ask Him to do. It tells me that God very often, man, He's not just doing what we ask and barely. That's how society is today. Everywhere you go, whatever you ask for, you get that and barely. But you know, that's the spirit of the age of man. The spirit of God and the person of God does the opposite for His children and for His people. He does more than is required and even more than is requested in our life. His providence in many ways demands this. I would say that His mercy demands this. He loves us enough to do... How do I say this? He loves us too much to only do for us what we ask. Sometimes that means not doing what we've asked at all because it would hurt us but sometimes it also means doing above what we've asked because he knows that permitted within the, the realm of what can give him glory and honor and what can respect his holiness, that we lack the faith and ambition to ask for what God could really do. 
but He loves us too much to just give us what we've asked for. He gives us over and above what we could ever ask or even think. Some of the greatest things in my life I never dared to imagine or dream. Would have never thought. I think back as a young man, my wife was asking me this just the other day. We were watching something on TV and little kids was talking about what they wanted to be when they grow up. And she said, uh, what did you want to be when you were little? And I, I just looked at her. I, out of school, I guess. I don't know. I, I had zero ambition as a child. Uh, summer break was my ambition. That was pretty much it. You preacher, what do you want to be? Uh, done with mowing the yard. That's it. You know, and full disclosure, here we've come. I'm 35, just about full circle here. And still what I want to be is done with mowing the yard. Amen. <laughs> Some things don't ever change. And I would have never dreamed the life that God had for me. I'm, I'm just being honest with you. I, I, as a young boy, I didn't pray for this. I never imagined God would call me into the ministry of the gospel and, and give me a beautiful wife and wonderful kids and, and an amazing pastorate and church full of people that, that love the Lord and love us. And I would have never dreamed to ask for that. Oh, how good. Let me tell you how good my God is. <laughs> he knew what I didn't even know. And He saw what I couldn't even see. And He gave me what I didn't even dare to ask for. You know why? Because he works abundantly. He gives us things that we never even dreamed of. You say, preacher, why are you preaching this tonight? To get you to trust him. To trust him with your life. To trust him with the matters of your life. Because I'm telling you, you're not trusting a mean or low God when you trust him. You're trusting a God that desires the best for you. He works actively. He works abundantly. But look at the next phrase. How does he do this? Well, he does it according to the power that worketh in us. That word according is important. It puts some boundaries, some parameters on on the statements that have been made. Yes, he is able to do. Yes, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, but only in as much as he can do it according to the power that worketh in us. I'd say it this way. He works accordingly. So in other words, there are some things required of you and of me if we desire for God to work in our lives. Notice, number one, the source of his working. Paul calls it the power that worketh in us. We know from comparing Scripture with Scripture and laying line upon line, we know what that power is that worketh in us. It is not the power of our personality or ingenuity. It's not the power that uh, of intelligence or education, but rather it's the same power that God's always been using. Back in Zechariah chapter 4, he told us that what he does, he do not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The power that worketh in us is the spirit of God that is given to us. It tells me this, that what God does in our life, he does according to the power of the Holy Spirit that worketh in us. So God can only do these things in your life and in my life in as much as both the presence and the governance of the Holy Spirit are both respected and embraced in our day-to-day life. God will not do these things against your will, and He will not bless rebellion and disobedience. But if we will live in obedience to the Word of God, 
And if we will live in obedience to the Spirit of God as He applies and administers that Word in our life and carries out the governance of our day-to-day affairs, then what we're doing is we are allowing God to work more mightily through us. It's not something, and I will say this for my life, that certainly God has blessed me in spite of me. But the great things that God has done in my life could not have happened had there not been moments where I chose God. I didn't do it. I didn't accomplish it. There's nothing, I get no glory for that. There's nothing about it that I did to to make those things occur or transpire. But they could not have happened had I not been willing to obey God when He commanded something in my life. I remember years ago whenever God put me and y'all together at this church and God had just formulated a firm conviction in my heart and in my mind and in my soul that this was the will of God for my life. So much so that I, I quit my job at the church that I was at. I stepped out. I, I, I let other people step in and, and take my place in ministry. I said goodbye to my young people. I was accused by some folks that thankfully I'm, I'm friends with today. They don't go to our church, but I, but I count them as friends and they're precious people. But I was accused of arrogance for doing that. I, actually, what I was accused of arrogance is I started a series of sermons before they voted me in. And in all fairness, I can kind of see how that might hit that way. But I was just of such firm conviction that God was going to do this. But I will tell you this, had I been unwilling to step away from that place that God had planted me, and follow God in faith, God could not have done that. And you say, preacher, well, that's good. Give yourself a gold star and a cookie. No, listen, it's not me that did it. I didn't accomplish it. I I didn't do anything except God said, do this. And I said, okay, God, I will obey you. Had it not been for that simple step of obedience, God could not have worked in the way that he did in my life. And here's what I'm trying to communicate to you. It doesn't take your assistance, but it does take your allowance in your life through obedience to Him. It's not that God needs help doing these things, but it's that He will not do them if you're in rebellion or disobedience, and He will not do it contrary to your will. Now, thank the good, glorious, gracious providence of God that there are times that even when I was living in disobedience, He was setting things up for moments of obedience in my life. But I could have just as easily, and I shudder to think how many opportunities I no doubt have missed when God had everything prepared to do a remarkable work in my life. But because I was not obedient to God, He could not work in my life. I see that He works accordingly. I see the source of His working. But And then I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm not going to belabor it. I already preached it. But I see the scope of His working that worketh in us. you got to let Him work if you want Him to work. You don't have to work it up, but you got to let him work if you want to see him work. Paul communicates this in Romans chapter 8, verse 8. He says, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. 
He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. He's talking about spiritual life here. And he's saying if you mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. If you if you put self aside and obey the governance of the Holy Spirit and let the life of Christ be manifest through you, then ye shall live. And what does that produce? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. He's not saying if a person disobeys God, they never were saved. He's saying if a person wants to look like Jesus, they're going to have to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit to do so. He's saying people that are the sons of God, that look like Christ, that live like Christ, are those that follow the Spirit of Christ. And that's how it's produced in their life. And listen, if you want God to work in your life, you're going to have to be willing to allow Him to. He works accordingly. And finally, and I'm done tonight, look at verse 21. Paul says this, Unto Him, I love the way Paul prayed, Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Now, I'll tell you what we have a bad habit of, and 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 often we misinterpret Scripture because of very often, if you pray in public on a, on a consistent basis, you know, you, you have a way, oftentimes, phrases that you say when you pray. And, and most of us, I know me, myself included, we have a way that we end our prayers. And it's just customary for us. And I'm not criticizing that. Understand that. I'm not being cynical about it. I do that. Most people probably do that. I don't think Paul did that. The only part of Paul's prayer that was boilerplate might have been amen. But I think if you really knew Paul, his amen meant more than most preachers' whole sermons. I don't think anything that Paul's saying here is a throwaway statement. And then let me go a step further. Even maybe if Paul did do that sometimes, this is not ordinary words of ordinary men. This is the inspired, inerrant word of God. And so when Paul closes his prayer with this statement, this is not just a lavish or eloquent way of wrapping things up. He's communicating some powerful truths to us. And what does he say? He's praying that God would work in their life. He's encouraging, charging them to trust God. And then he says this. Here's what God's doing in all of that. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. In other words, let's say it this way. He works almightily. In other words, what he's doing, he's doing that he might bring glory unto himself, and it is done not through happenstance, but through providence. Notice the purpose of his working. He says, unto him be glory. See, here's the truth, and this is where we're going to deviate from the modern, self-obsessed crowd of the world today. All these glorious, wondrous, amazing things that God does in your life, He don't do a single one of them to make you more awesome. Ah, come on, Toby, don't get in a ditch, all right? He ain't doing it to make you be your best bee or, or achieve your greatest realization. or That's not why He's doing any of that. The reason He's doing it is to get glory out of your life. Only when you understand the prime objective of God will you begin to understand and see clearly the workings of His providence. 
You'll never completely understand everything God's doing. Don't misunderstand me. But son, you're going to be lost as a termite in a yo-yo if you think the whole purpose is to please you and to aggrandize your ego. The sooner you recognize that this thing ain't about me and God has not made any secret of that matter. This whole life we're living is about getting glory unto Him. The sooner you're going to be able to look at things that happen in your life and say, I can't see how this is bringing me any happiness, but I can see how it's bringing Him glory. I can't see how it is how it is making my life more pleasant, but I can see how He could get glory out of it. And His working and these wonderful things that He does He does for this singular purpose that he might get glory. How does he do this? Notice not only the purpose of this working, but notice the process of it. In the church, by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Three statements are made, piled on top of each other. Notice the first thing he says in the church. Now, I know we have been taught, we have been, uh, you know, very much... I don't want to say condition because there's a truth to it. We've been taught that the church is not the drywall and the studs and the shingles. The church is the people. I agree with that. Don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. The church is an organism, not an organization and not a location. But I would say this, in as much as we talk about being in the church, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about being in fellowship or being out of fellowship. And, you know, I will just simply say this. When things come crashing into your life that you don't understand, one thing you can be absolutely convinced of with firm conviction is that God will get no glory out of your unfaithfulness. He gets glory out of you being in the church. Sticking in. That's how God gets glory out of your life. But then I think there's a second thought even wrapped up and contained within this that God is not looking to the world to get glory. One day he will. But right now, he's looking to get glory in the church. Amongst his people, through their obedience unto him. And you say, well, preacher, that's for this short while. Jesus is coming soon. And that's true. But the glory he gets will redound unto all ages. World without end. He says, in the church, how does he do that? By Christ Jesus. By Christ Jesus. It is not you being so awesome that gives God glory. Sometimes we view God as a spiritual scout who is scoping out the most Christian of Christians and recruiting them to his team. And you say, preacher, nobody thinks that. Sure, self-obsessed people think that. When you get all knotted up and twisted up and thinking church is about you and not about the Lord, that's exactly what you're thinking. You're thinking the church is made better and God gets more glory if I'm given the most room to show off how awesome I am. But it would be far better for you and I to recognize uh, that it is not as much that he is the scout and that we are the athlete. It is more that he is the potter and that we are the clay. And that as he molds us and shapes us into the image of Christ Jesus and as the life of Christ is manifest through us, he gets glory out of our life, in the church, by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. In other words, it tells me this, that oftentimes 
the, the majority of the glory that God will get out of your life and mine is not even realized in this short sojourn. Oh my, there's going to be a lot of catching up to do one of these days. I think we're going to just spend the first 10,000 years in stunned, dumbstruck silence when we all of the sudden realize all that God was doing all around us at all times that we were too dumb to ever see. Things that God has done in your life and mine. We're going to spend a long time just sitting and saying, so that's what God was doing. Can you believe that? Hey, Ken, you remember when this happened? Everything, and God did this and God did that. And can you believe that? And Ken's going to say. <laughs> and I'm going to say, too. It tells me this. If we'll trust him to work in our life and trust him, not only through reliance, but through obedience. He can do far more than we could ever ask or think. And he will because he's able to do. He works actively. He works abundantly. He works accordingly and he works all mightily in our life. But only if we'll allow him to do so. I wonder if you're allowing God to work in your life. If you're not, tonight would be a good time to start letting him. Let's bow together as a musician comes to play. If anybody's got business to do at the altar, won't you slip out of your seat and come down and meet the Lord down here? You don't have to wait for the first note to be played. We ought to be, hey, listen, you know more babes in, in the word. You know more on the milk of it. If God's dealing with you, go ahead and meet him down here. He shouldn't have to twist your arm. And allow him to work in your heart and in your mind and in your life. If he spoke to you about something, speak to him about that matter. If it's a matter of sin, confess it. Ask his forgiveness of it. Ask him to cleanse you of it. If it's some matter of, of, of disobedience or being slow to obey, surrender it to God. Commit to carry out whatever God has commanded of you. Or if it's some matter of, of, of doubt or of distrust, come and cast yourself upon the promise of his word. Father, bless the invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.